All right, so Genesis chapter 46, and notice what it says in verse 1, And Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. So Jacob is on his way to Egypt to go see Joseph, and he makes a stop in Beersheba, which is a special place. Beersheba, this is the place where Abraham had uh, made a covenant with Abimelech. This was a place where um, Isaac had some history, and this was a place, too, where Jacob had some previous history, where God had spoken to him before. And so, when I, and, and you know, something to just kind of just try to put yourself in the mind of these men back then. You know, traveling uh, was not near as easy as it was uh, today. You know, today we've got paved roads, we've got cars, and, you know, there. and so if there's places that are special to us, it's real easy to get to, and we kind of take it for granted. But, you know, back then, uh, getting to travel somewhere, you know, you had places that were special to you too, but getting to go to those places would be a very rare thing. And so if you had a place like Beersheba where uh, you'd had an encounter with God and where uh, you had a lot of history, this would be a very special place. And so we often see with the patriarchs, whenever they'd stop at places like this, they would take time to just kind of reflect on God and remember God and offer up sacrifices to him. And then God would speak to them again. And that's what we see happen here in this passage. And so uh, in verse 2, it says, And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am the God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph, Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Now, this is very important here, too, because remember, they didn't have the Bible like we do today, but they Jacob did have a promise of God that he had given him, that he had given his father, and that he had given his grandfather, Abraham, that God was going to make of him a great nation. And, you know, think about the promises that we've been given. Like, for example, we have the promise that Jesus is coming again. And is that not something that we think a lot about, something we talk about a lot? Well, the promise that they had was that God was going to make a great nation of them. And think about it, because Abraham never really saw that happen, did he? Isaac never saw that happen. Isaac only had two sons. Jacob, though, he kind of is beginning to see this because of the fact we see that he now has 70 descendants. So it's starting with Jacob, but they're also at a very dangerous time when there's this major famine going on, and God's telling Jacob to leave this land and go to Egypt. So this would be you know, kind of tough for Jacob, wondering, hey, are these promises ever going to come to pass? But God, when he's speaking to him, he assures him, hey, don't worry. What I promised you is going to come to pass. I'll make a great nation of you there. And we know that happened because when they come out of Egypt, you know, it's estimated that there was probably over 2 million of them, and which is a pretty, pretty amazing thing. But uh, God, so God's reminding him of that promise. And he said, Joseph, he said, I will, he said, so notice what he says. I will go down with thee into Egypt. I'll be with you there. I will also surely bring thee up again. Okay? But then he said, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Now, what does that mean? I mean, I, I tend to think that kind of when people die, they kind of close their eyelids on them. So, you know what? God's basically telling Jacob here, you're going to die in Egypt, but I'm going to bring you back to Israel. Now, I think there's a twofold significance to this statement because one i believe when god told jacob i'll bring you up again he's not so much talking about jacob the individual but israel the people saying you're going to go to egypt but i'm going to get you out of egypt that's what so that is one meaning of what god said i believe that's what god meant when he said that but i also like many of the promises that we see in the old testament they do have a more literal fulfillment that is going to come in the future in the millennial kingdom. I believe he meant it literally because someday God is going to raise Jacob up from the dead and he will be in that land again. That's going to happen one of these days. And that's why Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't receive those promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, they believed these things, even though they didn't have them. Even though they never saw those things in their life, they believed in those things. 
and they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Now, this is important, folks, because we also claim to have salvation, yet look at us. We're, sin, we're still sinful people with vile bodies, but yet we claim to have all these things. We believe in these things. We believe that we have salvation. Why? Because we have the promise of it. And while it hasn't been manifested in our life and in our body yet, we're still persuaded of it. We claim it. And we will have it one of these days, just as sure as we're here right now. We will have that changed body. We will have all those heavenly things that we have been promised. And that's why we're like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just because they believe the promises of God and it was counted in them for righteousness. We believe the promises of God has been counted in us for righteousness. And the things that God promised them that they would receive physically, it they believe those things even though they never had them physically. But you know what? They will have them physically one of these days in the millennial kingdom. And I personally believe one of the main purposes of the millennial reign is to give a literal fulfillment to many Old Testament prophecies. Now, I'm not an expert on this subject, but I mean, I really do believe because it's like, you know, why do this thousand year millennial thing where we let the devil out for a while? Why do all this? And I'm, I'm telling you, it is, I believe it, because this Bible that we have, it's a very legal book. And God cares about every word of it. God fully intends to keep every promise that he ever made. And there are a lot of earthly things that need to take place, things that have never happened, things that have never been fulfilled. And I believe those things are going to take place during the millennial kingdom. I believe that's one of the big things that are going to be going on. You say, well... How are all those details going to play out? I don't know, but I can promise you this. Jesus Christ will be on the throne, and he will follow these things to the letter. And you and I, we might have some different interpretations of what those things are going to look like. You know, we like to argue with the Ruckmanites about how things are going to play out in the millennial kingdom. But either way, you know, we might have some things right. We might have some things wrong. But either way, when the, when the time comes, Jesus is going to get it all right. He'll get it all figured out, and if there's any disputes about how it's going to play out, he'll fix us all in the millennium. He'll he'll take care of all of that. But I just think I I think it's very interesting how God worded it there. And you know, always pay very cl close attention to the words of God that He spoke specifically uh, in in the Book of Genesis and anywhere in the Bible. There's a lot of I mean, God the, the way He speaks is just amazing. There are many um, you know just many layers to what God said. And so uh, I, I do believe what God said will be fulfilled literally because God will bring Jacob again into Israel in the future. But I also believe he was telling him, you as a people are not going to stay there. I'll bring you out. And God did that. And I'm glad God did that because if God did that, chances are he's going to keep the other part of it too and raise him up. And if he's going to raise Jacob up, that means he's probably going to raise us up too, just like he said. So I'm, I'm always encouraged when I see God keeping his promises to other people. So notice in verse 5, it says, And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. And we're not going to go through all the names again here, but basically what we're seeing here is this is going into detail who the descendants are. It goes from each of his wives and the children that they had and then all of their children. And there was a grand total that were in Egypt, 70 that are mentioned. Now, keep this in mind because how do you go from 70 to 2 million and then there's there's dispute about how long they were in Egypt. Some people believe the 430 years started during Abraham's time. Uh, some believe it started right here. Either way, look at it. It'd be hard to multiply it to, to you know from 70 to two million. But at the same, and, and I tend to lean more towards 
it would actually have been like you know the clock starting with Abraham. That's another subject for another day. I'm not I'm not going to fight anybody on that one. I I haven't done all the due diligence I need to do on that. But either way, you got to understand it actually was more than 70 people that went down there. Because remember, Abraham had a bunch of servants, and then those went to Isaac. Isaac had a whole bunch of servants. Jacob had a whole bunch of servants. And so all of them went with them to Goshen. It was more than 70 people, but the 70 that are named, especially the sons, they were important. They were significant because it, you know, Jacob is important because he is who the nation is named after. Jacob's sons were important because they were the 12 tribes of Israel were named of them. And you say, well, all those servants, what tribe did they end up with? Well, we see later in the law that if you became a Jew, you became a part of the tribe of the land that you dwelled in. When God divided up the land, so if you were uh, living in the land, Gad's land, then you would become a part of the tribe of Gad. So I'm sure each of the 12 sons had their own servants and they just would have been in their tribe. But the thing is, those physical descendants were important because that's who uh, where the leadership was. They were the ones that received the inheritances that uh, cities were named after, all those things. So you kind of had like almost like a, you know, like an upper class and a lower class. You know, you had the class of importance, of, of ownership, of leadership, but you had other people that were there that weren't necessarily physical descendants. Now, after several generations, they pretty much all would have been physical descendants because, you know, there was a lot of marrying going on, you know, between Abraham's or, you know, Jacob's children and the servants. But I say all that to say that there were probably hundreds of people that actually went to Egypt when all this took place. And so uh, I just wanted to throw that in there to kind of help some things make sense. And I'm hoping I'm hoping to get to later. But notice in verse 26 it says, and the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's son's wives, all the souls were three score and six. So again, this is, this right here, this isn't just telling us everybody that went to Egypt. It's just telling us everybody that came from the loins of Jacob. And that's what it's talking about right there. And then it mentions the sons of Joseph, which were born to him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten. So Joseph and his two sons would add up to 69, and then Jacob himself they're 70. So um, uh, verse 28, and he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept a, uh, on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die since I have seen thy face because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, my brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. So um, this is everyone. This, this, I believe this includes the servants, the descendants. And uh, notice how Jacob said, you know, let me die since I've seen thy face. You know, he's just basically like, you know, my life's complete. You know, and that's kind of, you, you, you might hear people say stuff like that a lot of times joking when something really good and wonderful happens, like my life's complete now. Basically, I can, you know, if my if my life ended now, it was a good life because this was so wonderful. And I think that's what Jacob is saying right there because he was so happy to see Joseph. It was something he thought was never going to happen again. This was a truly great moment, one that had a lot of tears. And it says in verse, so uh, verse 32 um, says, And the men are shepherds, for their trade had been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation that ye shall say thy servants trade has been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Okay. Now, what is the deal with that right there? That Every shepherd is an abomination uh, unto the Egyptians. This is what I want to talk about tonight, because I think this is an interesting subject. 
Because uh, this sounds like kind of a snobby attitude, doesn't it? You know, and notice how Joseph tells them, hey, when you stand before Pharaoh, you know, tell him that you're shepherds, and that way you can dwell in the land of Goshen. And Goshen was kind of their area because of the fact they were shepherds. They kind of wanted to keep them separate from everybody else. And uh, so let's look, first off, let's look at the first mention of the word abomination in the Bible. And that was in chapter 43 and verse 32. And it says, they set on for him, for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with them by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So, is, I mean, is everybody clear on what it means for shepherds to be an abomination to the Egyptians to eat with? The, you know, Jews was an abomination to the Egyptians. It basically means the Egyptians were disgusted by shepherds. You know what it means? It means they thought they were better than shepherds. They, these people, you know, these goat herders, these people that just are with the animals all the time, they're repulsive to us. They're disgusting to us. I mean, obviously, you know, there's people that live that way, but we don't want them living amongst us in our city. They can stay in Goshen. Now, has throughout history, has there not often and always been classes of people? Have there not always been people that had superior attitudes over they de- over those who they deemed less important than them? I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that's always been around, and it still is around. Man has created classes based on color, you know, family, uh, nobility. You know, are you? of royal blood. I mean, really, what does that even matter? But yet people make a big deal about that. Even in America, people used to make a big deal about that. You know, you have those, I, I, I don't hear about it much anymore. These people, you know, my, my answers came over on the Mayflower. You know, what does that mean? It means I'm more American than you. You know, it's pretty much what that means. You know, mine were among those who first settled this country. Your family came over on a boat, you know, 100, 200 years later. You know, we're better than you because of that. Now, in America, you know, I think in our culture, I think we've gotten over a lot of this stuff. Now, thanks to the Jesse Jacksons and Al Sharptons and people like that, they're doing everything they can to keep racism alive in this country. Listen, the news media is doing everything they can to keep racism alive. The public school is doing everything they can to keep racism alive and well, and they're still struggling. I mean, it's still going away more and more as much as these people are trying to, you know, fire things up. But, but this, racism, you know, bigotry, it has always been around. It always will be around. They, you know, they'll have classes based on your know, rank, wealth, occupation, intellect, all these things. And biblical, biblical Christianity has always been the number one opposition to this type of thing. Now, I didn't say Christianity, but biblical Christianity has always been opposition. Any unity that is good that we have in the world today, it's based on the Christian mindset. In Christianity, we don't have rank. We don't have race. We don't have extra royalty over any other Christian. That's a Christian concept. That was not how it was in the world. Even in the New Testament, during Paul's day, you know, you had uh, there was special treatment for those who were Roman citizens. You had those that were free born. You had those that had to buy their freedom. There were different classes. You had the slaves. You had all these different groups, even during that time. And it's still that way in many parts of the world today. Still that way. But it was Christianity that helped get rid of that mindset in many ways. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, why did the Bible even say, you know, there's not male or female? Because in Christ, no one is above anyone else. Hey, if you're in Christ, automatically you're Abraham's seed. No longer are you more important because of what tribe you come from. Because of the fact that you descend from Israel. That stuff does not matter anymore. In Christ, it's equal across the board. And that is a Christian thing. There is only saved and lost. 
And here's the thing with that. You can, you can get snobby about that if you want. We could get snobby if we were Calvinists and believe that we got elected to this position by God. But in reality, any lost person can have what you have today if they would just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The standing that you have with God, any lost person from any part of the world, from any background, from any family, from any, you know, demographic, you know, uh, you know, whether it comes to wealth or anything, can have your standing tomorrow or right now if they would believe on Christ. So, you know, we don't get, we don't brag about this stuff. We don't talk about that anymore. You know, it's just, it's not something that it, it doesn't even make any sense to do that kind of thing. But that is a, that's a biblical Christian mindset to have that. So, uh, so the thing we've got to understand is so we all know there's no difference, okay, from one race to another in the eyes of God because we're all sinners. Okay, we all know that. But here's what you gotta understand. That doesn't mean that hate and disgust for other groups is not real or baseless. Okay, now hear me out. Okay. Hatred and disgust for other groups, other races is real. There, you know there's real racists out there. There's some people today, they just try to be racist and they just try to be offensive. You know, when you hear them say the N-word, you can tell they're trying to be offensive. But then those other people, you hear them say it, you can tell it comes from the heart. And they're really racist. <laughs> There's a difference. So, you know, some people, you know, it's like even too when it comes to the homos, all right? Some people, you know, when they're using all the homophobic terms and stuff, you can tell they're just trying to be offensive. But then there's others that it comes from the heart. And, you know, when I use homophobic slurs, I want it to come from the heart. I don't just say it to say it. That's why I'm not going to say it right now, because I'd be putting on. I'd be trying to prove something in saying it. But let me tell you, there's plenty of times I say it and it comes from the heart. And, and I always want those things to come from the heart. But And I know that sounds funny and terrible, but it, it's just reality. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard that person? You just you can tell they were just trying to be offensive and shocking. I'm not impressed with that. Okay? Just... Say it if you mean it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. And, uh, but even with, so the thing is, just because, and I said also, this hatred, it's not all baseless. There's reasons. There's often reasons that one race hates another race. Now, I'm not saying they're good reasons. I'm not saying that it's justified. I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not saying that God is pleased with it, but there are reasons people hate other groups. And, you know, people just need to deal with it and get over it. There's things about our culture that other people don't like. You know, even with church culture, you've got the IFB culture, the old past culture, and then you've got the trendy culture that's trying to take, take over today. I'm disgusted by the trendy culture. I have, there's a lot of great deal of hostility in my heart towards that. Is it all godly? I don't think all of it is. I think some of it is. I like to think some of it is, but I think some of it, it is, it's, it, it's prejudice. You know, it's, there, there's a, there's a real disgust there. And we could talk about whether or not it's all right or wrong some other time. But to me, a lot of that stuff, it makes me sick. It's an abomination to me. Okay. Now here's what we got to understand about abominations is abominations in reality are cultural and they're based on opinions. This is what we've got to understand. Okay. You know what? And you know what that means? Not all abominations are sin. For example, you put mayo on your sandwich. To me, that's an abomination. Okay. That's just, that's just me. I, I don't believe you're sinning if you do that. You know, some of the things people mix, you know, brother Aaron, you know, brother Josh, some of the pictures you share of these combinations of food, sometimes combinations of two food that are good. We would all say that's an abomination. You don't put those two things together. That's, that's wrong and that's disgusting. Now there might, you know, maybe there's weird people out there that like that stuff, but that's an abomination that's based on opinion. Now understand this. Anything that God calls, that's an abomination to God is a sin. But here's the thing. All right. Why, why is that? Okay. Why is everything that's an abomination to God a sin? Well, because remember, abomination is something we have extreme hatred towards, extreme disgust towards 
And God, in his culture, he's holy, isn't he? So if something disgusts God, then it is, in fact, a sin. Okay, so any, so don't get me wrong. Anything that God says is an abomination is, in fact, an abomination, and it is a sin. But not everything that's an abomination to everybody or even every culture is necessarily a sin. Because the definition of abomination is extreme hatred, detestation, or the object of detestation. Uh, and so uh, what is it that makes something an abomination? It's not just when something is wrong, but it's when you have an extreme hatred or disgust from something. And that's going to be different from one person to another. And so many abominations are cultural, and sometimes they line up with the Bible, but sometimes they don't. Okay, so for example, you know, dressing, the way we dress, dressing in certain ways is very offensive in one culture where it isn't in another culture. You know, it's still pretty offensive for a dude to wear a skirt in our culture, but in the Scottish culture, it's not really offensive, is it? You know, it's, it's an abomination to us to see that kind of thing, and it, you know, it, it's not in other places. I just was in the uh, truck stop over in Dixon the other day, and I saw a bunch of dudes in skirts there. But I will say, I didn't get creeped out as I normally would because they were some kind of foreigners. They were uh, they were some kind of like Indian or India uh, Hindu or something, and so they were kind of wearing these. I don't I don't know I don't even know how to explain it, but it was skirts. Okay, now it didn't look like they were trying to be homos. It just looked like some weird cultural thing. So I didn't get as disgusted with them as I would an American doing that, because that's just not what we do. Okay? And there's differences. You know, if you go to some Muslim countries, you'll watch guys kiss each other in the cheek. That's how they greet each other. That's an abomination to us, isn't it? But it's not to them over there. Okay? There's, there's differences from one culture to another. And so understand with the Egyptians... For whatever reason, they were disgusted by shepherds. I don't know if they just didn't like sheep or goats or, or what, or just people that spent a lot of time with them. I don't know what it was about it that they hated, but in that culture, that was a repulsive lifestyle. And there's many things that are repulsive to us that are not in other cultures. For example, too, in some cultures, eating dogs is normal. Just ask Obama. Okay, he used to do that. And in his country, that was that was normal. Now in America, you don't eat your dog, okay? You, and but it, here's the thing: is it a sin to eat a dog? No. But is it an abomination to us as Americans? Yes, it is. And so we we all understand that when it comes to abominations, many times these things are very cultural. There's things, and and, and we have a lot of the you know American culture in us, you know. There so there's but here's with with dietary laws or with the diet and eating, for example, you know, eating some things is very offensive in other cultures while it's not in others. Okay? You know, you don't eat pigs around Muslims or Jews, right? But that's nothing for us here. We think nothing of it, but it's an abomination to them. Now, here's a great thing about Christianity. There is no diet in Christianity that is offensive. Okay. Now, there's plenty of diets that are offensive to us, but it's as Americans. Y'all understand that? We're offended about Obama eating dogs because we're Americans, not because we're Christians. Everybody understand that? Okay, We're offended at some redneck eating a possum because we're not rednecks, not because we're Christians. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So, you know, I know we try to act like we're, you know, we're not Americans. We're just all Christian. But if you're offended by anybody's diet at all, then that's your culture, your, you know, national culture. But we're not offended as Christians. We don't think what a terrible Christian for eating a possum. But we, we, but we're still disgusted by that. And so if you offend me with your food, it's never because of my Christianity. It's because I'm an American. Okay. And so you're offending my earthly side. You're not offending my spiritual side. So that, that, this all this all makes sense. We all following? Okay, so now it is important that you get this because a lot of people, I mean, some of the arguments that the trendies have trying to make homosexuality not be an abomination just blows my mind and is, I'm amazed by their ignorance. And I'm also amazed by the fact that it's not an abomination to them. You know, that's another thing I'm amazed by. But let me ask you this. Why is it that some sins are an abomination and some sins aren't?
Because people try to act like, oh, homosexuality is just a sin like any other sin. Well, how come God called it an abomination while he didn't call other sins an abomination? And having said a lot of these things, I think this is going to help us put this in perspective. Because then the other thing the trendies will do too is, well, you know, the Bible also says, you know, eating pork's an abomination. Well, let's, we're going to go look at that and see why that was. There's a very good reason these guys just don't take, you know, they're so busy trying to look for justification for being nice to queers that they come up with these stupid interpretations of the Bible. It blows my mind, but look at Leviticus 18.22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Now notice, God said this is an abomination. He didn't say, you know, you think this is an abomination or this is an abomination to you. God just said, this is an abomination. Now, it makes sense that God would say that, since he created man and woman. God created the physical relationship for man and woman. God never created man to do what these people do. God never created man to do what some sickos do with animals god we were not created for that that is offensive to the creator to take his creation and to do something that messed up that is offensive to the creator that offense that offends an almighty a holy god it offends our creator when we do that so god said that's an abomination don't you do that you will defile the land the land itself is going to vomit out the inhabitants he said in leviticus 20 13 if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, God didn't do that for all sins. But he did for this one because it was so offensive, because it was so bad. It was so, it was so repulsive and disgusting. And so God, uh, God did that. And so God created man and woman to be together. And while there's still rules that can be broken when it comes to the physical relationship between a man and a woman... God understands the attraction that's there because God put that in us. God God put it, God designed women in a way to be attractive to men. That's the way he designed it. So even though there are sins that can be committed between men and women, if they're not married or you know if they commit adultery and things like that, it's not an abomination because it's one of these things that's it's understandable. It's still sinful. Okay, adultery, while a lot of people can understand somebody, you know, being seduced and tempted and things like that, we understand it's a horrible sin because it's so devastating to a relationship. It goes against the sanctity of marriage, but it is, it is, I mean, it's a horrible thing to do to your spouse. And so there are strict penalties on it, but it was never called an abomination. I, I never called it that. And, but when it comes to same sex attraction, that is not how we were made. It's not normal. It's not natural. And the Bible is very clear. One who feels that way has been given over to a reprobate mind. It says in Romans one twenty six, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change a natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It's, it's very clear when a person gets to that point where they're attracted to the same sex and they're burning in their lust one towards another, that something has happened to them. Okay, God has given them over to vile affections. They have rejected God for so long, and they have rebelled so long. God has finally said, enough's enough. Fine, I'm going to just give you over to all these vile affections. And what is in the rest of us that you know stops us from doing just horrible, disgusting things, it's not in these people anymore. It's not in them anymore, and therefore they are tempted to do things that you and I can't imagine, things that are still an abomination to us, things that still make us sick. And so fornication and adultery, they're still horrible sins. They still come with heavy penalties, but these penalties were there for a deterrent so others wouldn't do those things because, you know, great sorrow and heartache comes 
But these things aren't abominations. They're not, or they're at least they're not called abominations, even though they're they're horrible. Because for example, too, we all understand when somebody loses their temper. You know why? Because we all can relate to that, can't we? So again, there's some things that in our culture we can't relate to in other cultures. It, but when it comes to things like anger, we can all relate to that, can't we? Because we've all been angry, angry before. We've all lost our temper, temper before. You know, it, it, it's a normal sin. We all get it. But, you know, something like torturing somebody, murdering somebody, we don't get that, do we? I mean, listen, you take the most rotten person in the world. I have no desire, I have no desire to torture anybody. You know, there's some people maybe from long range who wouldn't mind, you know, taking a sniper rifle to them or, you know, just to finish them off. But I'm, I'm telling you, just, I don't want to see somebody suffering. I don't care how much I hate them. I have no desire to torture anybody. There's this, there's no way I wouldn't want to do it. There's no way. And so we all, so another thing too, we would all understand someone who is desperate and hungry stealing something. We would all get that. You know, the Bible says, you know, do not despise a thief if he's still, if he's just trying to, if he's trying to feed himself. You know, obviously it's wrong to, it's always wrong to steal, but we can understand that. We can relate with that a little bit. But at the same, so while at this, you know, on one hand, you know, you wouldn't despise a thief if you saw him, some guy that was hungry, some guy that was poor. But what if you saw me, a guy that you know doesn't need to, if you saw me going and robbing some old lady and taking money from her, stealing her purse? You know, you guys would be more repulsed by that because you know, Pastor Tommy's not starving. He's just being greedy. And so that would be even more repulsive, even though it's the same sin of of stealing. And so some... uh so, you know, we all, so, so we all understand these different things, but there are some things and there's many things that God understands. You know, Jesus Christ, he was tempted in all points, like as we are yet without sin. He understands what we go through, but you know what? There's some things that God doesn't understand. God talked about this. Uh, I, I don't have the passage in front of me, but he talked about some of the sins that they committed that never even came into his mind. Things that they just came up with. And listen, God does not understand homos. Okay, there's, there's nothing normal about that, nothing natural about that, and it is an abomination to him. And it should be to us, too. And so some things that were an abomination in the Bible, some other things that are not homosexuality, okay, they were to, God was trying to teach them to make these things an abomination to them. For example, with the food. All right, look at what it says in Leviticus 7. Verse 18. There's a bunch of passages like this. We're only going to look at a few. But Leviticus 7.18, it says, And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. When it came to those uh, practices that they had, those sacrifices that they did, God wanted them to take the instructions very serious. Remember what he did to Nadab and Abihu when they offered strange fire? God killed them. God wanted them to be shocked and horrified when somebody got, got out of line and just did their own thing. Because God wanted these things to be sacred and special. And so it would, it would be kind of like, for an example, um, you know, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but you could say, uh, let's say I went to a Catholic church and then... I'm just there visiting, and then in front of the Catholics, in front of the priests, I went and I saw the holy water, and I, like, washed my hands in it, you know, I, or I just went and drank it or something like that, okay? That would be offensive to them, wouldn't it? Because that's the holy water, you know, that's sacred, you know, you're, you're supposed to just, I think, tap it and then cross yourself or something, I don't know, I'm not sure what, but the thing is, they have these practices that are very important to them, and when you get out of line, it's an abomination to them. Now, you and I wouldn't be offended by that. But they would be very offended by that. And so what God wanted them to be that way with these sacrifices, God wanted it to be an abomination to them when people got out of line. So uh, look at uh, chapter 11 in Leviticus, verse 10. It says, And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers of all that move in the waters and of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. They shall be even an abomination unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, 
but ye shall have their carcasses in abomination. Whatsoever hath not fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be an abomination unto you. What is God doing? God is telling them, hey, when it comes to you as a people, I have separated you. You are a special people that I have set apart for myself, and you all have a special diet that I'm giving you as a people, and these food that other people eat, you're not going to eat them. These things need to be an abomination to you. And just like alcohol is kind of an abomination to us, and just like caffeine is an abomination to the Mormons, and just as, you know, uh, uh, you know, grapes and wine was an abomination to a Nazarite. God wanted these things to be an abomination to them where they didn't want to even have anything to do with those food because they were forbidden for them as a people. They didn't say that these things, you know, these eating these things, it was an abomination to God. This was an abomination for them because God gave them something special there. And so to try to compare that with homosexuality, it, it, it's it's ignorance in the most extreme form. They under, they don't understand the difference between something that was a, a, an offense to God versus something that God wanted to be offensive to the Jews because God wanted them to remember him. And they were to remember him in everything that they did. They were even remember him in their diet. And so they set themselves apart. And the things that all the other nations did, all the other groups and cultures did, they did not do those things. And it was, it was repulsive, it was an abomination to them. It would be like, you know, for me, it would be an abomination for me to go to a football game on a Sunday morning. I, I just, I couldn't do it. It's just not in me to do that kind of thing. I'd still be saved, you know, I'd still go to heaven, but it's just like, you know, Sunday's for church. And I'm not, I'm not doing stuff like that on Sundays. You know, Sundays and church attendance, it's sacred to me. And it's a very special thing. And the, the just the thought of doing something else, like on a Sunday like that, it just it's foreign to me. And that's how God wanted these things to be to them. And so God said, I want this to be, an, and you can see that over and over again, when God's given the dietary restrictions, God wants it to be an abomination to them. But I don't believe that, and, and especially when the New Testament makes it clear that we can't eat these things, these things are not an abomination to God. But to compare that, with homosexuality, it's a it's a people not understanding what an abomination is, and just having no clue the difference between I mean just sins against God and humanity and ceremonial laws. They just don't know the difference, and it's just because they want to go easy on the sodomites. And so God wanted these ceremonial things to be special to them, and it was to be an abomination to them. Not so much because the animals were gross but because the thought of sinning against God was abominable to them. There, so there's truly no comparison. So, like, I try to teach my kids to abominate certain food. I try to teach them that. And I, it's worked with some of them. Some of my kids, a lot of, there's a lot of things they don't like. Trying to teach them that. You know, when I was a kid, I was taught, I was taught to hate certain, I was taught to hate certain music. I was, I was taught, you know, I was taught to hate rock and roll music. And you know what? I still do. You know, people always say a lot of our prejudice and hatred and racism, you know, it comes from our parents and stuff. And, you know, I'm thankful for some of the things my parents made me hate. And my parents made me hate and despise that stuff. It was repulsive to them, and they made it repulsive in our house, and it's still repulsive to me. And I want it to always be that way. The first time I even ever remember finding out what queers were is when we were at Six Flags, or Six Flags, and we're standing in line, and my dad was keeping a ton of space between us and a couple guys, and we had no idea why. It was a super awkward, I mean, you talk about social distancing. I mean, it was more than six feet. And you know how those lines are. They're always really close. But, man, there was just tons of space. And it was it was weird. And it was just awkward. And, you know, people are looking. And I didn't even know what was going on. And later I was like, Dad, why are you, you, know, why are you doing that? And he was just like, those people in front of us were weirdos. I was like, you know, and, you know, and then he... He did, like, didn't want to explain too much, but, you know, he, he told me enough to just know, you know, those are the type of people who don't want to be. And I remember it was like, I, I was pretty young, and I remember a few years later, it, you know, something came up, and he remember he talked about those queers at Six Flags, and it's like, oh, and then it, there was like a click. That's what they were. That's why you're doing that, because I, you know, but uh, I know people wonder, you know, why are you such a bigot and a homophobe? My parents' fault. They taught me to abhor that. 
which is evil. And I'm thankful for that. And, he says, and I'm telling you, some people fake and some people put on a show with how repulsive they are by homos. But some of us, it's from the heart. It's the real thing. And I'm thankful I grew up that way. It's, but, uh, but yeah, so what, uh, 1 John 2.15, what does it say? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We need to teach our children to be disgusted by some things. We need to teach our children not to like some things. And obviously, you know, we don't want to teach our children to be racist. We don't want to teach them to be snobs. All that stuff, we should be above that, okay? But that doesn't mean we're okay with criminals. It doesn't mean we're okay with, you know, crimes and perversion. Okay? And it, the fact that people have turned perversion into a race, it just it blows my mind. That they compare racism with being against faggotry, it just it blows my mind that they have succeeded in doing that. And, and, and this has been going on a long time. When I was at my dad's church on our bus route, some kid uh, called another kid gay, and they other kid tattled to me about it, and I and I just told that kid, I was like, do not call people gay. That is disgusting. You don't say things like that about people. And some some girl looked at me and she's like, Brother Tommy, are you racist? <laughs> I said, how is that racist? And it's like, yes, you said, you know, calling somebody gay is disgusting and all that. It's like, I said, gay is not a race. <laughs> but, that, but, you know, public school kids, that's what they're being taught. They're being taught. They descended from monkeys and that queers are a race. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, but, you know, here's what the sad thing. What's sad, we've gotten into a point in our country where we actually have to go back to teaching people to hate certain things like sodomy. Our, our kids in the public school today are being taught to love those things. That's why they have to put it on television all the time. And that's why they make it look so much better than it is on television because of the fact they've got to try to give you, they're trying to get you used to it. They're trying to give you a little taste, you know, taste of these things. It always starts out little and they, and we've been building up a tolerance for this stuff for a long time to where now it is not uncommon for homos to come into it and sit in a church service. I mean, I, it blows my mind, but that's where we're at. And we're bad today for speaking out against that. I mean, we are going the wrong direction big time when it comes to this. Our world has succeeded in making people ashamed over a natural disgust for the unnatural. I mean, one of the elderly ladies in our church a couple of years ago, after I had been preaching about homos, or, or it, I hadn't even preached on homos that day, but she came up to me after church one time. She's like, Brother Thomas, she said, you know, is it, I forgot how she asked me exactly, but she, she's like, homo, she's like, homosexuals. That's wrong, isn't it? I was like, yeah. I said, why are you asking? She's like, because I don't like them. <laughs> and it was like she almost felt bad. She was saying that, but I told her, I was like, that's okay. <laughs> you shouldn't like that. And I had that when, the first year in the church. I had several people the first time I preached against homos that it was like they were relieved because there was all these old timers that felt like they were bad people for not liking homos. And it was like they were glad to hear that they weren't bad, that they weren't crazy. You know, that that was normal. They came up from a different world. But we, listen, we've got to get back to that. That's what we need to get back to that. So there's plenty of things that we shouldn't hate. There's things in the past that our country hated. And listen, the racism that went on in this country, it was wrong, but it wasn't baseless, okay? There were things about the black culture that the white culture didn't like. And so they didn't like the black people because of it. They didn't want them being integrated. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying there were just real differences there that were repulsive to the white culture. And so they just, you know, they hated black people for it. They wanted to keep them separate. It was wrong. Now, not, now not everything that they hated about the culture was wrong. There was a lot of things in the culture that were bad that they didn't want in their culture. The way they went about it was wrong. They did, they did a lot of things wrong in that, but it is normal for different groups, nations to have a certain disgust for another group. You know why? Because we live different ways of life. We have different cultures 
and different ways of doing things. There's a lot of good, saved Baptists in the South that would be bored to tears in our church. But you know what? There's a lot of good, saved people here in our church that would be freaked out if you went down to their church. What's the difference? It's cultural difference. You know, us saying amen in a song, that's an offensive and abomination to a lot of the Southerners. You don't say amen. It's hey man. You know, they, they're offended by that type of thing. And so it, you know, we need to deal with some of that stuff. But, but at the end of the day, let's not stop hating things that we should hate. Let's not stop hating the unnatural and the perverted. And so, uh, there's some things we need to make sure we keep these things an abomination in our life. That these things continue to be an abomination to us. And the things that are an abomination to God, I want them to be an abomination to me. There, you know, uh, we're just way too tolerant of pretty much all sins, aren't we? You know, God hates a proud look. God, uh, uh, he that sowed discord among the brethren is an abomination to God. But you know what? Sometimes we kind of like some of that stuff. You know what? That needs to be an abomination to us too. And we sometimes have to teach ourselves that. And there is, it's amazing the things that used to just normally be an abomination to our culture no longer are. And we need, we need to get back to that. But hopefully this helps you understand abominations and understand what was going on then. So even in Egypt, they were willing to let them stay in Goshen. Hey, you guys are okay. You're allowed to live. Just stay over there in Goshen. You know, we don't want to be around you. We don't want to smell you. We don't want to smell your animals. We don't want your way of life rubbing off on us. And you know what? It's okay for people to have their own cultures and do their own thing. We need to stop as Americans trying to Americanize every culture that's out there. We don't need to do that. We don't need to make them all like us. If some of them have their customs and things and diets and stuff that they do. You know what? Let them do that stuff. You know, if it's not a sin, it's fine. Let them do it. We don't have to like it, though. You know, we don't have to dress like that. Hey, listen, you're never going to see me out wearing a sombrero. Doesn't mean I hate Mexicans, but I think those hats look stupid. <laughs> and, you know, and we would laugh at any of us wearing, wearing it. You know, that, that, that's weird for us, but it's not for them down there. So, uh, hopefully, uh, this brings some clarity to that and it'll help. And, and notice too, when you're reading the Bible, look for that which is an abomination to God. Those things should be an abomination to us. Versus things that were to be an abomination to them as a people. And uh, there are clear differences there that just a little bit of study will help you figure out. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Pray you'll help us to uh, learn to uh, or try to train ourselves to think the way you do about things. I pray you'll help us to love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. I pray you'll help us to uh, try to have a growing hatred for things that are an abomination to you. Like sowing discord among the brethren. And I pray you'll help us to just uh, keep our focus right, help us to learn to separate uh, what is an abomination to us, maybe as Americans versus Christians, and uh, help us to just get past some of those things and help us not to ever contribute to a lot of the racism and uh, bigotry that's wrong in this country. But you'll help us to uh, stand up for the right things and remember that we are uh, all the same in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.